we welcome you to the Tabernacle Podcast, brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit our website, tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. You can find other sermons like this one on Apple Podcast, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. It is our prayer that God has used this message to be an encouragement to your heart. We are this evening in 1 Corinthians, so I invite you to turn there with me, 1 Corinthians chapter number 13. We began last week looking at the practical characteristics of charity. Uh, we began a study of this chapter some time ago, and, and uh, as things have developed in our calendar, we haven't gotten far through it. We've been studying, of course, the entire book, but we titled this section in 1 Corinthians 13, The Way of Love, A More Excellent Way. And the way of love is a more excellent way. We see, if we look in chapter 12 and verse 31, uh, Paul speaking here concerning spiritual gifts and the purpose of them, we looked at that chapter, introduces this thought about charity in chapter 13 by saying it this way, verse 31, but covet earnestly the best gifts, and yet show I unto you a more excellent way. Well, that excellent way is the way of love. It is the way of charity. In verse number one, he says, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become as a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up. Doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, Rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in truth. Beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. And charity never faileth, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. When I was a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know even as also I am known." And now abideth faith, hope, charity, these three, but the greatest of these is charity. Well, in our reading, we begin in verse 31 with an introduction to this more excellent way. And then in verse 13, as the chapter concludes, it concludes with a summary statement. The greatest of these is charity. As we noted in verses 1 through 3, we saw 
that charity is essential in the work of the church. And we looked at the thought of a church without charity. And we've been studying, began looking at it last week, beginning in verse 4 through verse number 7, the practical characteristics of charity. And we've been looking at these characteristics. And as we are looking at them, I've encouraged you, let's take a test, a love test. We know that the world's idea of love is not consistent with God's idea, and charity speaks of the love of God. The love that God has for us and the love that God wants us to possess. The way we possess it is as we love him, as he fills us with his love, that love is shed abroad in our hearts. And so we love with the love that God has for us. That is the work that God does in us. And it is a process. And as we yield to the Holy Spirit, as we are filled with him, as we confess our sin, as we're changed, as we're conformed to the image of Christ, as we're sanctified, then we can begin to love as God loves. Now, we notice as we looked in the opening verses, we, we looked at seven of these practical characteristics of charity. First of all, we see that charity suffereth long. We noted that charity loves patiently. And then we saw that charity is kind. Charity loves kindly. That was the second one. Charity envieth not, meaning that charity loves contently. And then in verse, or in, in continuing, he says, charity vaunteth not itself. It loves humbly. But charity is not puffed up. It doesn't think of itself more highly than it ought to think. It does not allow uh, pride and dissension to come in. So charity loves unassumingly. And then we saw that charity loves courteously. It doth not behave itself unseemly. It's not rude. It is not crude. It is proper. It is fitting. It is courteous. And then we see that charity seeketh not her own. So charity loves unselfishly. Now, I believe that's where we left off last week. If you think I'm right, would you say amen? All right, good. I'm glad I feel better now. <laughs> so we'll come to eight, number eight. And so if you're taking notes, uh, then uh, I would encourage you to start with number eight. <clears throat> you say, well, I didn't write the first seven down. Well, you can go back and watch last week's message. Technology is a great thing at times, right? So uh, we look back in, in these verses, and uh, we, we look again in verse 5, doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, that's unselfishly. And then we come to what is next on the list. In the middle of verse 5, is not easily provoked. So let me give you this one. Number 8, charity loves temperately. It's not easily provoked. It's not quick-tempered. The word provoke here means to irritate, to rouse, to anger, to exasperate. A true love is not quick-tempered. 
Those who seek their own can easily be provoked, but when, especially when they don't get things their way. Oftentimes there's a preoccupation in our culture with our rights and insistent that we or our children be dealt with in a fair matter. And that is something that is consistent in our culture. And what is revealed to us is that we are the object of our own affection. And if we consider that we have been done wrong or suffered neglect or hurt or had some injustice or offense against us, then we lash out often. We begin to defend ourselves. We speak up and we get provoked. But when we love, when we're controlled by the love of God, the Bible says that charity is not easily provoked. We give the benefit of the doubt. We understand there's more to the circumstance than maybe we know. And so we're not quick to become defensive and we're not easily provoked. If you find yourself easily provoked, then that means that you care more about self and defensive self and perhaps that love is misplaced toward your own self rather than the kind of love that you ought to have. Charity is not easily provoked. Those of us who struggle with temper uh, find great conviction in that verse, do we not? It's not easily provoked. We look next in the close of verse 5. Charity thinketh no evil. Doesn't mean that we not ever, that there's, it doesn't mean that there's never a time when a, a, perhaps an evil thought comes to us. Well, what does it mean then? It means that charity does not keep records like an accountant keeping a ledger of wrongs, of evil that has been done against them. It's so easy for us to remember how someone did us wrong, and oftentimes we forget all the good things that people do for us, but we rarely forget the offenses that people bring against us. But true love, the love of God, does not keep records of wrongs. Aren't you glad, by the way, for that? So if we're loving with the love of Christ, if we have charity then we're learning not to keep records. As someone said, resentment is careful to keep books, but love keeps no books. Love forgives. Yes, it's hard for us not to remember, isn't it? But with God's grace, we can forgive. Chrysostom, who was an early church father, said this. He said, a wrong done against love is like a spark that falls into the sea and is quenched. You see, when we surround that wrong with the love of God, that wrong really cannot spark a flame of resentment and anger within us. Uh, Paul wrote in Romans 4 verse 8, Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. Aren't you thankful for that verse? 
God does not keep a record of my sin. Once I confess him as my Savior, once I call upon him and he comes to dwell within me, he forgives me of my sin, he cleanses me of my sin, and he does not hold my sin against me. My sin is dealt with. The payment of my sin was made by Christ on Calvary 2,000 years ago. He remembers it against me no more. So when he sees me, he doesn't say, oh, well, there's Scott Hooks. Remember what he did. When he sees me, he sees me as he sees his own son whose righteousness has been imputed to my account. And so in his love, he thinks no evil toward me. Ephesians 4.32, and be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. So charity loves forgivingly. So if we say that we love people, if we say that we have the love of God in our hearts, then we must be people who are forgiving. If we love our spouse, then we must be people who are forgiving. If we have resentment and hold grudges, then we are keeping books. Another statement that we read is in verse 6, charity rejoiceth not in iniquity. What is he speaking of here? This, this thought, charity is not gladdened by sin. Charity is not gladdened by sin, whether it be by one's own sin or another's. God takes sin seriously. It is a grief. It is an offense to him. And therefore, we are to take no pleasure in it. Uh, much of what we see on, in the media world is built upon the celebration of iniquity, is it not? Uh, when laws are passed that remove restrictions on sinful behavior, there are those who celebrate. There are those who rejoice. But true love, the love of God, does not rejoice in iniquity. If someone gets what they deserve, an act of vengeance, there can be a moment of satisfaction there, right? That's a sinful satisfaction. It's not based on love. And we can rejoice in iniquity. The headlines in today's papers are used to appeal to our evil nature, to draw us into the wicked actions of a lost world. Curiosity killed the cat. And it corrupts us, doesn't it? There are times when we say, or we hear reports of those who, whose sins have been exposed, and we might react by saying, oh, I, I knew that was going to happen. You ever heard anybody say that? I, I, I could see that coming, as if they're almost happy that it did happen. It reveals something about us, doesn't it? Charity rejoiceth not in iniquity. And gossip is, is a major, uh, a major uh, avenue of expression for those who rejoice in iniquity. Let me tell you. Let me give you the story. And oftentimes we're all too eager to hear it, aren't we? Well, the Bible says it rejoiceth not in iniquity, but also in verse 6, but rejoiceth in, in truth. So charity loves truthfully. 
If we have the love of God in our hearts, then we rejoice in the truth. This is not simply referring to factual truth, but to biblical truth, God's truth. Charity is glad when we're confronted by God's truth. What happens to so many people when they're confronted with God's truth? They get angry. Oftentimes we get angry. We don't like to be corrected. We don't like to be confronted. We, we do not like to be told that we're wrong, especially when our spouse does it, right? But charity rejoices in the truth. Many today call the church unloving, the church that believes the Bible. Unloving. Why? Because we hold the Bible positions. We hold convictions that are in accordance to Bible truth. And the culture that has rejected God and rejected God's word brands those who hold the biblical truth as unloving, intolerant, unaccepting of people. Paul said to the church at Galatia in Galatians 4.16, Am I therefore your enemy because I tell you the truth? Now, what does the Bible teach us? The Bible teaches us that if we love souls, if we love people, then we're going to tell them the truth. We're not going to allow them to continue living in a lie. And if they continue living in a lie, then they're going to receive the judgment that comes with the consequence of their sin. So if we love people, then we are going to warn them of the truth of God's word. We're going to speak to them in love with a spirit filled with love, a spirit of kindness, a spirit of compassion, but yet we will tell them the truth. Many in Galatia held Paul in contempt because he confronted them with God's truth. They didn't want to hear it. They had their own brand of truth. This is a statement we hear in our culture often. This is my truth. This is my truth. So what does that make truth? It makes truth subjective. That means it's subject to your thoughts, your desires, your emotions. And subjective truth is no truth at all. There's only one form of truth, that is God's truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. There are not many gods, there is only one. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. He is truth. And if we love, then we will rejoice in truth. We will not reject it. We will rejoice in it. Well, then we go on in verse 7. Charity beareth all things. The word beareth here means to cover, to support, and to protect. Love is eager to protect people from exposure, ridicule, or harm. Love refuses to gossip or entertain gossip. Love seeks to correct wrongs without causing further harm and pain to the sinner. What does the Bible say? Love covereth a multitude of sins. By the way, we're all sinners, right? 
We're not talking about covering up crimes. We're not talking about covering up things where, where that, that, that bring legal ramifications or that endanger people's lives. Covering up abuses, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about sins in the lives of people, and it's not our duty, it's not our responsibility to uncover all of it. David urged his men when they dealt with Absalom, he said, go gently with the lad. But they didn't go gently with him, did they? And Joab said, oh, no, we're going to take care of him. You see, there is within us a sinful desire, and it is a sinful desire to expose the sins of others. Why? Because it makes us feel better about ourselves. It takes the spotlight off us and puts it on someone else. Maybe we think, well, we, we need to expose them for who they are. Envy, jealousy, whatever the, whatever the motive may be. This is why gossip is so pervasive. We often take pleasure in the sins of others and justify ourselves by comparing our sin to theirs. We need to understand that love covers the sinner and protects the sinner from further pain. By the way, do you know who paid for our sin? Jesus. Well, we also note in verse 7, it beareth all things and it believeth all things. Here's number 13, charity loves trustfully. Believeth all things. This doesn't mean that love is gullible. I mean, we know we live in a world of misinformation. We know we live in a world where we're being lied to in a constant basis. But this is dealing with our, our, our personal relationships. And who is he writing to? He's writing to Christians who were suspicious of one another. And he said, true love believeth all things. It means that love is not cynical and love is not suspicious, but love trusts. Any relationship must have trust if that relationship is to move forward. Love must uh, produce confidence in one another. Love believes as a church family, we believe, we, we must believe, we must trust one another. Satan loves to use circumstances and reports of the circumstances to cast doubt in our minds concerning motives and actions of our brothers and sisters. And by the way, that's the way of the world, is it not? Nobody believes anybody today. Nobody trusts anybody. And I certainly don't trust those who, who tell us certain things in, in this age in which we live. There's no reason for me to elaborate on that. You, 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 you're dealing with the same thing. We all understand that. But within the family of God, we can't be cynical. We can't be suspicious and, 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 and bring the thoughts of the world into the parameters or the context of the church. We must learn to trust one another. Love believeth all things. Satan seeks to sow the seeds of mistrust in a church in the midst of a staff of people or a body of deacons or a church family. 
because he wants to divide and he wants to destroy. And if the church is going to hold together, then it must be held together by the love of God. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. Doubt and mistrust creates an atmosphere which quenches love and damages the work of Christ. And so there are times, however, that trusts are broken, right? That has happened, and it will continue to happen. But when it happens, we deal with it in a loving way. And may God help us to do so. So charity loves trustfully. Make sure that your response towards someone is not a, an initial response of cynicism and mistrust. I am a naive person, I think. I want to believe the best about everybody. But I also think that's not necessarily naive. I believe that's something that God's enabled me to do by his spirit. Number 14, charity loves hopefully, hopeth all things. Oh, we can't lose hope, can we? We can't lose hope in one another. Love continues to hope. The Corinthian church seemed like a mess, didn't it? We've read about the fighting and the strife and the misuse of gifts, misunderstanding of them, the pride and, 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 and the perversion that, that became sort of a pervasive thing in that culture and impacted the church. It was a mess, but Paul never lost hope that the problems could be solved. And by the way, we don't either. No church is perfect. No family's perfect. No child is perfect, but we certainly don't lose hope that God can work in their hearts and lives, right? In Acts chapter 6, when the church was growing, there was a, a, a murmuring, there was a dispute between uh, the, 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 the Greeks, the Grecians, the Grecian believers, and the Jews, those who were two groups within uh, the church, the Grecians, and the Jews. And what were they disputing over? Because the widows of the Grecians were neglected, it appeared. And so this dispute could have divided the church. It, it could have caused real problems. But the, the leaders, the apostles, dealt with it in a spiritual matter. They, they, they discussed it with the congregation, and, and they proposed a plan. And what could have been a problem led to a greater possibility. And the Bible says because they handled that the right way, the word of God increased in Jerusalem. And so we don't need to lose hope. Sure, we're going to have problems. We're always going to have problems. Things that need to be corrected, things that need to be dealt with. But we don't lose hope in the process. We, we don't cause, we, we, we don't automatically begin to distrust people as if they want to hurt us or they don't want to hear us or they don't want to do anything about it. Oftentimes when there's an issue uh, in, in a school setting, and, and we have a Christian school, so we have, we, 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 we have that reality in our ministry, and, and uh, there's misbehavior or, or some deed that's reported and, and uh, action is taken, well, that action can't be discussed openly with everybody in the student body nor with every parent in the school. And then oftentimes assumptions are made. Well, nobody's doing anything about it. 
Well, that's not the right assumption. And that's what Paul is dealing with here. Think of the love of the father whose son had gone to the far country. He never stopped hoping, did he? And when his son was afar off, where, where was the father? Well, he was looking down the road. And sometimes we, we lose hope. We get discouraged. We think the opportunity is over, but it isn't. So let's not lose hope. And let's not allow problems and, 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 and momentary things that come to us. Let's not cause that to be mistrusting of one another. Well, let's look again in verse 7. Beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things. And here's the last one, number 15. Charity loves enduringly. It endureth all things. Well, that's, there's a mouthful there, isn't it? It endureth all things. Again, let's look in verse 13. And now abideth faith, hope, charity, these three. But the greatest of these is charity. Why is it the greatest? Because it never it, 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 it never expires. Faith will expire. Why? Because faith will become sight. Hope will be hope realized. It has an expiration date. We don't need to hope once that hope has been realized. And when we're with the Lord, there'll be no need for faith. There'll be no need for hope because all of that will become sight. All of it will have become a reality for us. But what will last? Love. And if we love one another, love will endure all things. And by the way, God will allow things to come to us to test us. And we need the power of God. We need the power of the Holy Ghost and the love of God in our hearts if we're going to love one another the way God wants us to love one another. But if we do that, if we do that, I want you to know we can enjoy the maximum blessings of God in our church and in our homes. Thank you for listening. We pray that God has used his word to speak to you today. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit us online at tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. There, you'll find additional information about our church, opportunities to partner with us financially, as well as other resources that we hope can be a help to you. May God bless you, and thank you once again for listening.